Today on Sagittarian Matters, pets, death, killing boners, and more. With my guest, Jessica Lanyado. Stay tuned. Jessica Lignato is an internationally respected astrologer and psychic medium who has been in private practice with clients all over the world since 1995. She's a triple Capricorn, and she has a new podcast called Ghost of a Podcast, which you can find, along with horoscopes and a lot more, at lovelignato.com. Nicole J. Georges. I have a question that I'm asking after I contacted you on your um, story and asked you the first part of the question, which was about boundaries and someone who has, somebody who I'm in a relationship with who has emotional um, issues and boundaries, boundary issues, I should say. Um, The question for you is, I left a relationship for this person, and the person that I left is my best friend. Um, We've been together 11 years, and there just isn't a lot of oomph in that relationship. There's a strong friendship. We're both vegan. We share a lot of things in common. It's not a lot of passion, which I know can happen after being with somebody for this long. The new person I'm with is somebody I was with 20 years ago. So much passion. They're borderline crazy, and I think that that's where the spark comes from. Um, as am I, though. So, in all fairness, you know, it's it's both of us. My question is: I'm sorry, this is turning out longer than I intended. My question is: Do I go back to the person that I was in a relationship with prior, who still wants to be with me, who I love dearly, who I can see a future with? Um, or do I ride out this wild ride in the current mess that I'm in with the person who I also love dearly, um, knowing that it's destined for disaster? It sounds like this person is not just confused about what to do, but somehow in the mix of all those words, didn't really talk about themselves, didn't really talk about what they're choosing instead was like, this person is crazy. This person wants me. <laughs> but I, I personally, me, I think, why is it between these two people? There are a lot of people in the world. Why is it between crazy and no chemistry? It seems like they're like trying to stay safe. Like they're like going from one buoy to another and they're afraid to be in deep waters without somebody else as a safety net. Yeah. Except for both of these buoys are filled with, what's a good metaphor? What goes on buoys? You know, like, uh, it's not, it's like, you know, it's like scoogey. You don't want to touch it. It's not quite right. You don't want to live there. It's not, you know what I'm talking about? Those like, little things, like barnacles. Oh, barn- I was like, algae? Barnacles. Barnacles with algae on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, neither of these buoys are the right buoy, but why don't you try to be your own damn buoy? Why not acknowledge that you want to break up with person A because it doesn't meet all of your needs and that person B is the human embodiment of the one need you didn't get met with person A and then move on hoping for the Reese's Pieces to this chocolate and peanut butter conundrum. (laughs) I did like that. I like that. I know. Thank you. There's, I don't know where I heard this, but there was something wise I heard before that was like, you know, beware when you're rebounding, you will be attracted to the things the person didn't have, but make sure the person you're, you're rebounding with also has the things that that person did have, like the things that you really liked about that person. So if person A has stability and person, you know, B has sexual chemistry, but if they're not stable, then they don't have the whole package, just like you were saying. Exactly. I mean, my personal definition that I tell clients all the time about what a rebound relationship is, is when Girl B or boy B or they B, whatever the hell it is, when person B 
has those things that person A didn't have and that's their primary gift to you, you know you're rebounding. And some people marry their rebounds. Sometimes rebounds work, but, you know, call it what it is. It's a rebound. Do you agree? I don't remember where I heard this before, but I feel like I heard someone say before that, like, rebounds, they were like, rebound is just loneliness. And I remember, I don't remember who said it or why, but I remember they said it that way. And so whenever I've been in a rebound situation or I've been wondering if that's what the situation is, I'm like, I mean, it is. Because especially if you've been in a relationship and you're used to being around somebody so yeah. much and then they're away, then you're like, oh, fill the hole, fill the hole. Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think also, I think rebound is also, it's kind of betrays that, that you don't know how to or you don't want to sit with your part of what went wrong in relationship A. Because even if you are close to perfect and your ex is like a terrible trash person, you're the dummy that chose the trash person. What's that about? See what I'm saying? I see though. I see what you're saying. See what I'm saying? So I just feel like, you know, it should never be between two people unless you're perfectly in love with both people and they meet all of your needs equal but different. But that's not the situation at all. Neither of these people are right. And therefore, I would say sit with your feelings. Get yourself a shrink. Perhaps go to Al-Anon meetings or some sort of CODA meetings if you're into that kind of thing. Like, which is – I say it because it's free, not because I'm, like, promoting AA per se. But – um you know, it's a free resource that exists in most cities across, you know, North America. Yeah. Do that. But but dating people because they're there and you don't want to be lonely is shitty to yourself and it's shitty to others. Not that you're shitty, but it is kind of a shitty thing to do. They deserve a little better and so do you. And it's worth yeah. waiting. It's worth waiting for. It is. Theoretically. In theory. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. We have a lot of pet questions. Now, I I have to, you know, say an apology or something to all the people who wrote in asking very particular questions, wanting you to tap in and basically do an animal communication session on a (laughs) podcast. But that's that's not what's going on here today. It's not what we're doing. It's not what we're doing. Sorry, guys. What we're doing is answering questions that will hopefully be helpful to more than just the one person about animal communication. And it's not it's not a free sesh. I just got to say, but okay, I'm going to start with one question that somebody sent us on Instagram that says, how, dear Jessica and Nicole, how do you communicate to a cat you need to sleep at night when they want to play with you? Oh my God. Okay. So first of all, sounds awful, but equally cute, awful and cute at once. I love when cats want to play personally. Um, But okay. So, so this is, this is, I'm going to give you two parts of the answer according to me. The first one is there's a reason why I can't actually answer this question, which is that uh, every cat, just like every dog, just like every person uh, or whatever, is a person. Everyone has their own personhood, and so everybody's different. And so the reason why I might ignore you at the grocery store may be really different than the reason why someone else might ignore you at the grocery store or whatever. It was a weird example that I just said, but you understand. And so there's not like a universal answer. And in order to, you know, do a reading that would be just like you said, Nicole, be like an actual reading, which we're not doing. So that's one part of the answer. Now, the other part of the answer is this. Communicating with animals is incredibly simple, which doesn't necessarily make it easy, but it's really simple. And it's using uh, pictures. It's just communicating via clear pictures. So what that means is getting centered and present within yourself and then having your thoughts and your feelings get aligned with a simple picture that you are showing to your cat friend or your dog friend or whatever. And that is uh, animal communication. I know it sounds really simple, but it really is that simple. I don't know how easy it is. I think it's you know, there's lots of factors that go into it being easy, but I'm an animal communicator. I do it for a living, you know, not, it's not the most common thing I do, but I do it all the time. And, you know, right now I have two cats and one of them, he's the most communicative guy in the world. I say something, he responds. He tells me shit. It is beautiful. And then the other cat has absolutely no interest in communicating with me. She will not listen to me. She will not tell me anything. She will not acknowledge that she's heard me. And that's because she's a person. She's in, it's not who she is. So... I don't know. I don't know how helpful that was, but that's the answer. It is. I think it's helpful. Um, I've had different animal communicators before. They all communicated via pictures. 
Uh, a friend of mine offered to communicate with Ponyo, but I feel like we just... Ponyo and I have enough quiet space together. And I'm wondering, as a cartoonist, if I'm better at having picture communication than lay yeah. people. I'm just wondering. I, I was actually thinking that as I was saying it to you and looking upon your cute face. I was like, oh, I bet that you just actually organically do that without even thinking about it because you're a visual person. And you probably like process visually more than I do um, or more than a person who's not like a visual artist does. And it's not just that you're a visual artist. It's that you you draw your life. You draw yourself and your dog. You insert yourself. So it's like there's a very specific way that your art would lend itself to animal communication. But I mean, I feel like anyone who's met you and Ponyo would feel like you effectively communicate with Ponyo. Yeah, like we we get each other. I mean, there's definitely yeah. times when she does something I don't want her to do because that's her instinct because she's still a dog. Even if you have a perfect, you know, yeah. a perfect pipeline between the two of you, they're still animal first species yeah. second breed last so i mean ponyo is like a an animal a dog who is her only job in life is to protect the door and so when people walk by the door and she starts barking and i'm like quit barking and she's like looks at me like i can't stop even if i wanted to <laughs> totally. also you know human to human we communicate just fine it doesn't mean i do what you want me to do or i understand what you want me to understand or i like what you want me to like and that's the thing that people forget about animals they're like well if this dog likes me then they'll do all the things i want them to do no neither will i <laughs> neither will your your date or your partner or like your parents my god ever at all right yeah. like it's i think that that um with woo stuff with like hippie you know like energy stuff people have this idea that when you get to this perfect pure place with it that like everything aligns for you but that's not how it works life is hard things don't line up people don't agree you know and just because you're good at communicating with your animal doesn't mean she's going to stop playing when you're sleeping you know she might be like yeah that's cool i'm nocturnal play with me anyways you know what i mean so, so there's also that and um and, you know, I think just like with humans, when you're establishing boundaries, you need to be consistent. And cats are really responsive to time, right? This is like an animal thing, right? Cats are responsive to time. So if at 3 a.m. you always give in and she starts at 1 a.m., well, then, okay, don't give in at 3, you know? And that might mean spending two weeks of misery in efforts to get to the long-term game. But you have to do that with people you date and with your friends and with your bosses, too. It's not – don't – you know – that's, that's just basically what I'll say is that, you know, don't stop doing you and like having boundaries and being clear just because you're not getting what you want. I mean, the same thing with dogs are dogs love boundaries. Structure binds yeah. anxiety. Dogs yeah. are looking for yeah. a leader. And if you're not giving them effective leadership with consistent boundaries and, you know, top down kind of leadership, yes. then they're going to try and take the reins and they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Like Ponyo's like, okay, I'm in charge because you're texting while we're on this walk. Okay, I'm going to zigzag in front of us. And if I see a dog across the street, I'm going to bark at it. Like it just, or we're going right. to stop and start, stop and start so I can sniff things, zigzag in front of you. I mean, I think most relationships thrive with roles. Uh, but again, this is Capricorn and Capricorn violence. Of course we agree with each other. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't agree with us? Literally everyone but people with lots of Capricorn in their chart. Hashtag goat life. Hashtag go life. Do you think it's accurate? This is a side note. Do you think it's accurate to describe a Capricorn as an ice cube carrying a briefcase? <gasps> That's really funny. Um, sorry, I just got very visual and I, I wanted to agree with it, but. But I feel like you might have a more nuanced picture I image. Mean, I have two visuals that I like to hold with Capricorn slash Saturn, our ruling planet. And one is Mary Poppins. Because oh. she's magical, she's here to heal your daddy issues, she takes no guff, but she's like secretly full of surprises that are material in nature, but ethereal in quality. What? I did just pull that together. <laughs> but it is a thing. It's a thing, I believe. And then the other archetype that I have for Capricorn slash uh, Saturn is Darth Vader. Oh, I am your father. Like, I tried to make my voice weird. I'm sorry if it was <laughs> weird. You put your hand in front of your mouth so people know. 
I tried to. I don't know what I was doing because the mic is yeah. to the side, so I didn't. But yeah, so is Darth Vader? It's like serious, like it's like the worst parts of capitalism and patriarchy. That's the briefcase. That's the ice cube, right? Yeah. Although Mary Poppins is kind of cold, like she's a little bit aloof. She's not, you know, when she dances, she's fierce, but she she's like buttoned up, right? Yeah, and so. I refer to those two things, and I think one of the most common misconceptions about Capricorn is that we care about money and that we're, like, unbending and rigid. I think that that's the unhealthy articulation, um, putting those things above other things. But much like Miss Mary Poppins, this is the sign where, um, you know, those things can be valuable and important, but not over humanity because Saturn is a and Capricorn are very um related to the collective and and the structure of society which is a structure that is uh very much a humanistic structure right so and I'm not sure if that completely made sense but it's something I think about all the time being a summon and rising all in Capricorn person I can't help it also Saturn's in Capricorn right now and Pluto's in Capricorn and it's all fucking so much. It's so much. Does that mean that we're having a great time as Capricorns? No. Uh. No. No, it doesn't mean that. I don't, I mean, you know, it, I, I would lie to you if I was of a different personality, but Mary never lies. Mary never lies. And I was, I, was, I was trying to describe to somebody like Sagittarius, having a Sagittarius sun with a Capricorn moon and rising. And I, I was like, Sagittarian. Blunt, life of the party, great time, loves to travel, optimistic, up for anything, Capricorn, like, I think of it as a little bit of a boner killer, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a total boner killer. I feel like I'm a professional boner killer. Killing boners is my jam. (laughs) I have no shame about that. I feel like the thing about killing boners is, uh, I don't know, it's a great metaphor. I mean, they're very insistent. They poke at you. doesn't mean that they're the best thing for you. It depends. Is what I'm saying. I mean, I, I honestly, I do think people need to think outside of limerence when they're in limerence. Your brain, the chemicals in your brain are going to be like, there's nothing else. Yeah. Just have sex. Yeah. This is it. Don't talk to your friends. Don't go to work. Stop buying yeah. groceries. Just get takeout. Yeah. Although also, also I, I, I prefer to get takeout all the time. So that was, you, you had me until I was like, oh, but that's just me at normal days. Um, well, yeah, I think, I think that, I mean, this is a, we're, we're away from animals and, and woo, but I will say Capricorn can also be a very spiritual sign. Mm-hmm. And the most common thing I get from Capricorns who reach out to me is they're like, I am really spiritual and I don't think I'm a Capricorn for real because I'm a really spiritual person and it doesn't make sense to me why I'm not, I'm supposed to be an ice cube with a briefcase. Oh. Yeah. But it's like, but here's, if I, if we work with your, your metaphor, the briefcase could be full of magique and ice is nothing but water in a solid form. So if you don't focus on the temperature, but instead on the ability to adapt structure and flow, now we're into Capricorn. I just worked with your metaphor. You really did. Thank you very much. Today's episode is brought to you by Lagusta's Luscious Chocolates. Organic, fair trade. Always vegan caramels, bonbons, bars, and more. Made for you in New Paltz, New York, with passion and politics. You can use the offer code SAGITTARIAN for 10% off your order at lagustasluscious.com. And hey, if you are feeling the fall spirit, try their Caramel and Autumn Leaves box, filled with apple caramels, maple pecan caramels, and delicious chocolate-painted leaves with vegan maple cream. Follow them on Instagram at... Augusta's Luscious for secret sales and behind the scenes candy making. I'm going to spell it for you. L-A-G-U-S-T-A-S Luscious. Now I need to have some real talk with you and tell you that I have been a longtime fan of this food. And when I lived in the middle of nowhere, I signed myself up to get Augusta's chocolates once a month for the year I was away from home. And it made my month. It made my life. It was the maybe one of the nicest things I've ever done for myself. So anyway, if you want to try these chocolates because they are delicious and do a nice thing for yourself, you get 10% off your order at lagustasluscious.com with the offer code Sagittarian. Okay, so as you may understand, when people put down an animal, they feel a lot of ways. So I'm going to tell you, there's two different questions people asked that spoke to this. One, 
Dear Sagittarian Matters, how do I know if my dog felt loved when she was passing away? And the other one is, basically they said, how can I stop feeling guilty about having to put my cat down? My cat died last year and I feel a lot of guilt about her last year. How can I tell her I'm sorry? Mm. Okay. Those are really important questions. And to both of those people, I am sorry. Losing an animal is the worst. And feeling responsible for it or being responsible for it is really hard. Um, so the first question, you can't. What was, what was the exact wording of the question again for the first one? How do I know if my dog felt loved when she was passing away? You can't know that. You don't get to know that with humans either. You know, you don't get to know these things in life. And for anyone who has dealt with death, this is with animals and with humans. I mean, you just, grief brings up such a desperation of animal emotion that we we go into panic, I think, around how can I ever let this person know how I felt and how can I fix this pain and make it worth something? And so I think that in that way, we, we want to like turn back time and, and, and prove it to them more that we loved them. And we can't do that with humans and we can't do that with animals. And even when you visit with a medium, even if you visit with all the world's best mediums, you know, you have to find a space in your own heart for having faith that your life was a living testament to your love. And, you know, as a medium and also as a person who I've encountered my own losses, you know, those feelings in inevitably come up. Um, and separate from hearing communication with your lost loved ones, you have to find peace inside of yourself with, I feel this bad and I love them this much that I feel this bad and that is what it is like i you know you have to kind of accept it and part of this thing of like how can i make sure that they know is not accepting it it's kind of like projecting it out and trying to fix it and that simply doesn't work and it, it, it doesn't work for humans either and um i feel like we don't talk about death enough mm -hmm. and grief and I, I am really it's one of the many things that i'm not supposed to talk about very much but i'm obsessed with and want to talk about nonstop. um and I, uh, I really, I feel like with death, do you mind that I go on about this a minute? Go riff on death. I'm riffing, I'm riffing on grief even. Because, you know, I, I'm Jewish and the, you know, Jews are not good at a party. I mean, I'm not saying we're not good at a party. I'm saying Jewish uh, religion is not like a party-based religion. However, you give us suffering, you give us death fucking geniuses so a couple things that i know and i'm not a religious person so i might be getting this wrong so if you're you know a religious jew and you're listening to this please don't get mad at me if i fuck this up in some way but basically here are the things that i know uh, about what we do first thing is when you've lost a loved one that is like your close close family like your mom your kid your partner what you do is you rip apart your clothing and you walk around in those clothes for seven days after the death. And men don't shave. And you don't look in mirrors. And this is meant to be a full week of turning away from all external things to be messy. And you want everyone to look at you and know that you're messy. You're fucked up. And then we bury the person. This is not for animals, but I think it works for animals. We bury the person. And then we don't put the tombstone up for a full year. And that is because you're not supposed to even be able to look upon it. You're not supposed to be able to talk about it. Um, you, you know, it, it takes that year of grief before you can put up the monument. And what I've seen in kind of like Jesus related cultures or religions is that there's this rush to like, you're, you're dead. Let's button it up. Oh shit. You're sad. Okay. Moving along. Don't overwhelm anyone. Don't be too loud. Don't, don't gnash your teeth and wail. Just keep on moving. And I don't think that's true with all, uh, Jesus based religions, but that's been a lot of what I've experienced in, uh, Canada and the US. Um, and I think it's sad. I think it's really like a, 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 I think it's a missed opportunity because when we lose someone, we are meant to be messy and consumed and devastated. We are meant to be on our knees. And when you are on your knees, if you can, if you can be present with that, then it's awful and it's terrible, but also it is what you need to do to be able to move through it. And when people don't do that, what we end up doing is it's kind of like being nauseous and not puking. It's like 
you know, but your body needs to puke. It's like you're sick all the time. And it eventually becomes your normal. And you know, a part of you knows it's not normal, but it, it becomes your normal. And so I think stepping into the the largeness of grief that is inevitable when you lose someone you truly deeply love is scary and hard and um and it's and it's an an inevitable part of being a person i think and you know i say this as someone who i lost someone i deeply deeply love several months ago and i can't even look at their photo like i just i won't and it's because i haven't had the space in my life where i can really like lose myself and in the grief and it's okay to make these economical decisions in you know the world we live in and also it's important that at a certain point we like let ourselves sink to our knees and be in it and that's just part of i think it's part of life so i don't know if i went off on a tangent but that's that's my that's my take that's my not so hot take on grief that's your goat take it's my goat i take. think that's a great take and i think i mean with with pets, with animals, I mean, it, it is. It feels, since they don't speak perfect English to yeah. you out loud, you know, there's not a time where they're going to be like, yes, I think I'd like to call the euthanizer now. Like, there's not that. They don't have, like, an animal's right to die, you know, uh, DNR or whatever. But I do think that you know when they're suffering, and it's your job to put them out of suffering, And you have to remember that you didn't, if you're having the thought of whether or not to put your animal to sleep, just be aware that you weren't having that thought when they were a puppy. You were not having that thought when they were at the prime of their health. You're having that thought for a reason. That thought isn't crazy. It's because there is some suffering going on. And I, I always recommend quality of life scales that you can find online. And so just, you know, if your dog just got diagnosed with something and you're like, but I think they can beat it. Go to their quality of life scale right now and just fill it out. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks or a month, fill it out again. And so then you can actually see what changed. So instead That's of you being, advice. instead of you being like, my dog still wags his tail when he sees a tennis ball, you can look at the other things on the list, which are like, doesn't eat, can't stand up on its own, needs to get carried outside, wets itself. Like all these other things that mean the dog's not happy instead of clinging to the one thing that you're like, you know, yeah. he opened his eyes. He must yeah. want to be awake. Yeah, and I think kind of connected to that, um, and I love that because it's so actionable, but I think also connected to that is, like, you get, it kind of, it, it like, it, it draws into question, this kind of speaks to the other person's question, is what are your values, right? Personally, me, there's a number of things that I've told my partner, if these things happen to me, you get me a death pill. You pull me out. I don't want to be resuscitated to shit. And, you know, personally, me, my values are I would I'm not scared of being a dead person. I'm scared of being suffering as a living person of being trapped in suffering. And I think that, you know, my value system is I would never want somebody to suffer through something that they didn't want to suffer through. And that's like in making the decision to have to um, help an animal friend transition. I mean, if if your value system is I don't have a right to do that, then I can understand why you would really be suffering around that. But if you believe like that is not just the kind thing to do for my animal, but I wish someone would do it for me if the time came. Well, then, you know, then those are your feelings and not your feelings about the situation. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's complicated. And I think kind of underlying these questions is people's fear around what happens after you die. And is death bad, you know? Um, and for me, as a medium, I have this total conviction that death is not bad. Um, and death is not even a completely real thing. So it's like, I mean, it is, of course, and then it also really isn't. So, what? Uh, <laughs> okay, that's not obvious. That didn't just make perfect This is like that. Science Friday, where I'm like, hold on a second. Uh, well, this is, okay, so this is my take on it, is that, when we die, and in my mind, I put air quotes on it. When we die physically, our physical body dies, but we ourselves don't die. So, like, you know that self that is yourself that when you're, like, lying in bed at night and you're talking to yourself and you're reasoning with yourself, but it's that one central part of yourself that is, like, wants the best for you and is centered. That that there is your soul. It is your spirit. And that shit does not live in your body. Your body lives in it. 
And so when it does, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm freaking that's out. Real. Don't freak out. Okay. Don't freak. I mean, you could. I mean, yeah. to me, it's just like we're talking about what kind of tea do you drink? It's yeah. very normal. But um, but yeah, it's your body is is in your soul. Your soul is not in your body. So when your body perishes, it's just that your body has perished. And this life in this material plane has has ended, but your life hasn't ended. And you know, when I say this to my grandmother. Um, you know, two of my four grandparents are still alive. And when I say that to my grandmother, she always says the same thing. She says, oh, no, no, no. When I die, I'm done. Don't tell me I have to do more. She is, you know, very unwilling to be a part of my story. However, I really do believe this. And I always say to her, just tell me when you're dead. Just call me up and be like, you were wrong, Jessica. And I will take your word for it. Um so that is it's it's a death joke that maybe isn't as funny to other people as it is to me. But I, she doesn't think it's funny. I'll tell you that she doesn't think it's funny. It's be um, hashtag medium humor. Yeah, hashtag medium humor <laughs> forward slash nobody gets it but me. Um, so, yeah. So so there's no such real thing as that. if I can talk to dead people, if I can talk to a dead animal or a dead person and they can tell me hella specific things that are verifiable then how do you tell me that they're dead? Like, how are they not existing if I am talking to them and they are telling me shit? Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't really make sense. But then again, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily believe that it's possible for a living person to speak with a dead person, um, which I respect. You know, I respect that. But I don't know. I mean, I, uh, I have a question, which is similar to that, but it's, animal communicators a lot of times communicate not in the same room as the animal yeah yeah how is that so and is that similar speaking to like the energy of an animal or the spirit of an animal or whatever you know in a different state versus over the veil across the veil yeah is it similar all the same and that's the same thing people are always like oh halloween and the veils are thin and i respect that that's not my experience the veils are thin enough Two, four, seven, three, sixty-five. I don't need any kind of thinning veils personally. I'm, they're just thin enough. I don't really even experience a, too much of a veil. I wouldn't say that I experience too much of a veil myself. So there is no difference between, okay, think of it this way. Think of it this way. You and I are in the same state, but in different cities. We're far away. You're in LA, I'm in Oakland, right? But the Skype connection is not, better or worse, because you're in LA and I'm in Oakland. If I was in Jakarta, if I had good internet, we would have the identical connection. Yeah. Because it's not relate has nothing to do with proximity at all. The internet has nothing to do with proximity. Um, And it's, and I don't understand the internet much more than I don't understand psychic. (laughs) Let me tell you, I don't understand how my phone works. I don't need to understand. That's fine. But the thing about, I also, I have an easier time usually communicating with animals when they're not physically present. Because when I see an animal, I'm like, oh, you're an animal. I'm a person. We're different. I don't understand you. But then when I just open up and I start to talk to like an animal that is in a different city, a different room, a different country, or on a different plane, it's just right there. Just like with the internet. Here's the thing about the internet. This is a really good metaphor. Okay. Here's the thing about the internet. Um just because the internet is open in a worldwide webby way doesn't mean I'm on all the websites at all times or on all pages of all the websites of all times. In fact, I go to one of like four websites for the most part and that's it, even though it's a huge internet. And so that's the thing about like psychic that people misunderstand as well is that, well, how do you not know everything? It's like, who can know everything? Who's looking at all the things on the landscape at once? Your eyes can only take in so much of the landscape at a moment. So, all to say, uh, it is, I think, easier for the brain to not be physically present. Um, and also, psychic is not about proximity. It is not about the body. And I think people who don't believe in psychics really think it is about the body because they think that psychics are like charlatans that are reading body language and, and cues. And, and, and I think then other people are just like, well... Had, you know, there's this there's this idea that things are material, right? Like if we're together, then I can read, give you a psychic reading or whatever. But is that how it works? It's not related to that at all, like at all. Um, I have something to say about animals' bodies before we move on. 
which is that this is I'm, I'm taking a curve back for a second but it's you know your animals are not able to articulate how they're feeling until it's usually pretty drastic so just know the thing I learned from my dogs getting old and dying is that they knew they were dying or sick a long time before I did a long time before their body had a lump or showed symptoms like they had to be in so much more discomfort to show those symptoms so just know like by the time you get your heart and mind ready to like call the home euthanizer your pet has been in discomfort for longer than you may understand yeah. and they're ready to go like they don't know yeah. all they know in my opinion is that they are in pain and all that all the time that exists is right now yeah i mean i also think they do understand yes and also you know part of okay so we're we're back to that that other question and part of what I kind of heard in the subtext of maybe it wasn't subtext, whatever. Part of what I heard in that question was that the asker felt that in the last year, if her cat, it was a cat or a dog. I don't remember. Dog. Anyway, the last, it's the last year of that dog's life that the human wasn't there for the dog or wasn't like as there for the dog as she would have liked or they would have liked. And that is part of what I kind of heard in that question. And I think that, um, when we act out of alignment or when we act less than ideally, it is really painful. It is really hard. And you, the only thing that you can do is a living amends. Just do better next time. And punishing yourself is almost like not challenging yourself to, to do better. Because you, when, we're, when we're like, oh, I did bad, it's like then you're the victim because you did bad. And then you feel bad and you're the victim. And then you don't need to take responsibility for your actions in this moment because you're trapped in your feelings of inactivity because of what you did or didn't do in the past. And so there's like this like really core concept that I work with, which is the difference between guilt and responsibility. And that's part of what I think this question asker was really getting at is like, I had a responsibility and I feel guilty because I didn't live up to it. And now I feel trapped in the guilt. Mm -hmm. And all you can do is take responsibility from here forward as a living amends if you did make mistakes. And if you didn't make mistakes, then yeah, you got to let it go. But I agree with what you're saying is that they, they, they don't resist death. You know, I talk to dead kids, children who die. Um, and a lot of times I find children don't resist death. It's adults, adults and seniors. We resist death much more than animals and children do. That's been my experience. And does that make it harder yeah. then? Just like when yeah. you're like, if you're like in a car accident and you're the drunk person whose body is going with the flow, you're the one that walks away uninjured, but everyone else yeah. who's like, holy shit, like getting yeah. really tense and uptight. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really been interesting for me as a medium, you know, and I've been doing this work for so many years now is I've talked to so many people who've died in so many ways and kids, they bounce back because they have no sense of, of control of their lives. Anyways, they're always like, you know, told to go to school, told they have to go to bed, told to eat, told to brush their teeth. They have no sense of expectation of what's coming tomorrow. They have no sense of, you know, real entitlements or of control over their lives that hasn't been developed in them yet. And, um, so death can in some ways be much more of a graceful transition because there's less attachment to this life and this body that they experience. And that's, of course, not true for all people, but generally that's been my experience doing the work I do. If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Somebody wants to know, do we? Th do you think animals return to the same owner if they are deeply connected to the owner's journey? Well, I take issue with the, with the word owner. I'm sure they meant it in a really, uh, in a different way than I take it. But, you know, uh, I mean, if you really feel like you own the animal, then probably they're not coming back to you now. <laughs> uh, not to be a dick, but do you know what I yeah. mean? Um, so, so that said, I've talked to lots of clients who have animals that have passed on around them and who are there to just because they fucking love them. So, yeah, but it's not like this idea of place is a misunderstanding um, that I think, you know, religions that talk about heaven and hell really foster this misunderstanding that when you die of this physical form, you go to a physical location that is a place and that place is a good place or that place is a bad place. I love that show, but whatever. 
you understand what I'm saying. Um, and that's not a, that's not a thing. When you're no longer in a body, there's no more place. There's no more time. There's no more place. And therefore, you don't go to a place. That's not a thing. So you're okay. So sorry, we're getting deep here. Is my dog on the rainbow bridge, or is my dog quantum leaping into the body of a puppy? Is that what this person really asked? No. I wish that they did. That's amazing. It sounded very much like you, though, so I didn't believe it for an instant. Um, but the 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 thing that I I forgot what I was gonna say, but it was gonna be good and it's gone. But it wasn't that. It couldn't have been that important if it's gone. There's no time. There's no place. There's no time. There's no. Place. There's not a physical place. Nobody remembers. It was good. Maybe it'll come back. All right. Wait. Somebody wants to. Well, you know, somebody's asked me this question before. I think I lost it here, but they asked me about partial custody of a dog after breaking up. And I just don't believe in it. I just don't think your dog's thinking about you when you're not there. I think when they see you, they're like, oh, it's you. Great. But I don't think when you're gone, they're like. They're sad. No. I don't know. I'm trying to think of of the dogs that I've talked to. Let me think about that because I am a cat person. I'm not a dog person. Uh, I mean, I love all all, all the animals that aren't assholes. But I, uh, hold on. Let me think. No, I've talked to, I've talked to um, some dogs who, who were like, I don't like their house as much. It's, it's. Or I don't like this person as much as I like you. I mean, animals have preferences. But I think um, I think in, in a breakup or a divorce, whether we're talking about human children or dog children, we tend to project our trauma and ish upon our children. Um, and I think that is true. Um, but I do, I'm, I'm like right now thinking about one couple that I worked with that, that had a, a pit bull and in the divorce, um, the pit really didn't like one of the parents' homes as much because it was like a lofted space and the people just didn't like it as much and uh, like complained about it a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, and that wasn't really like I don't like my human in this space, but it was like I would prefer to be at your house more frequently. It was yeah. like, a, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I guess I'm just – I just think it's like it, it's upheaval in their life. To continually be like, no, you know, like it's not an infant. Yeah. Not an infant. No. And not a person. This is why I'm not into astrology for cats and dogs. Oh. They're not people. Even though Ponyo might be a Sagittarius. <laughs> You're all, except for my dog, right? Except for my dog who's highly identified as a Sagittarius. I mean, I don't know. Are really, are dogs really related to uh, international travel and like big ideas and philosophies? Are really, is that really, a, I don't know. I personally am not about it, but most astrologers I know are, and I am not a hater. Yes, I am. You're a hater. Uh, But I'm not trying to be. Somebody wants to know, I'm a new psychic. Not that the ability is new, but opening it up to do readings outside my immediate friends and family circle. And while acknowledging that it's something beyond just giving really in-tune advice is new. I'm wondering if you and Jessica, I'm a real expert in this, have any advice on how to be myself online? It's scary oh. out there, and I've been super private about this process as I've trained to do formal readings, but now it's about time to get out there and help people. Signed, Divining in Detroit. Oh, I just love that sign-off. Me too. That's a great sign-off. Uh, you know, okay, I think it was Henry Rollins who did this, and I get names, fu- I'm terrible at names, so, uh, but there's this book that was published and it was letters that were like handwritten letters or like letters that were sent. Did you ever see this book? A friend of mine gave it to me. Anyways, Henry Rollins was nominated by MTV in the nineties for some sort of like award for a music show. And he wrote them and said, I thank you so much for this nomination, but my relationship to my muse is such that I do not want her in a competition for she is some sort of I'm probably fucking this up but basically like she is a stallion and I don't want her to gallop away in like some pageantry it was like a very beautifully written letter and it really stuck with me because I was because I was like oh you know I'm not a traditional artist but as as a psychic as somebody who relies on my relationship to my guidance and my muse uh being in competitive venues being on social media is it 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 really brings up competition and it brings up like branding and like all these things that are really hard on most muses. And I am so grateful that I'm such a older person that I got to have, you know, more than a decade of development of my gifts 
outside of social media, outside of having to brand and package and, and be in this weird, like all of a sudden it's an industry and there's like witches everywhere and there's like psychics everywhere, but that is very new. And, um, and, and it's, and it's all, I'm basically, I'm, I'm grateful that I didn't have to do it because I don't know if I would have had the same skill set today if I had been doing that before I was ready. And so I say all of this to say, respect your muse, respect your guides, do it only as much as you're ready and not more. And if you're doing the work you feel called to do, it'll come. It'll come to you, even if you're not doing like a good marketing strategy or whatever, because it's more important that you're able to stay present with whatever, however you're presenting yourself publicly than it is that you do a bang up job of like using the right hashtags or whatever the fuck, right? I mean, I feel the same thing with beginning cartoonists. And, you know, it's like, like people that are stressing really hard about this thing called Inktober. Like, it's great. It's a way, it's, it's a way to draw every day of the month. But also like if, you know, like sometimes people don't see new posts from me for a long time. Like I'll recycle old posts. Sorry, I hope you're sitting down. But I recycle (laughs) old posts because I need to do my life's work which is working on long form books and projects that I, that are not things I can share at every juncture. So if I was just dedicating my time to having like powerful social media and creating new images for Instagram, I wouldn't be doing the bigger work of like, you know, being able to be vulnerable on the page and like having a one-on-one interaction with a reader. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it, it's kind of similar. It's like, you yeah. need to think like, you know, how deep do you need to go to keep your your resources flowing versus is there any of that that you can share that feels appropriate? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I wish I wish that. Um, what was there was something in this question that I feel like maybe I, I, I wanted to respond to, too. There's something else about it. They're, they're basically saying, like, what is your advice for being myself, a, being yourself? I mean, Here's the other thing, and this is another Capricorn thing that you're going to probably agree with, Nicole, because you have so much Capricorn in you. But our career is an important place to be authentic. But when you say be yourself, this is not there needs to be a distinction between the private and the public, the personal and the professional. And so be your well-intended and curated self, (laughs) especially as a psychic, um, because if you're going to require money, then you need to be able to hold a professional boundary. And if it's all about you personally, that gets harder to do. Um, and so I think I think it's also about there's nothing wrong with saying this is the authentic self that I intend to present to the world as I offer this service and gift instead of I have to be totally transparent about all my parts because I'm a really private person and there are a lot of things that I share online and there are a lot of things I would never share, not only online or on the streets, on the mean, mean streets of California. I wouldn't do it. Same. You know, what's that? Same. See, we have all that Capricorn. But sometimes people think because I share so much in public that that's, that's, that's it. That's That's me. So then we don't even actually need to have a conversation because we already know each other. Right. And that is how you know the difference between who is actually your friend and who wants you for your service. And the truth is, you know, when you're providing a service, whether it's as a creator of, you know, the arts or the esoteric arts, I think, you know, it is important to be able to hold space between what you're what you're offering to people that they can consume of yours and what you are. And that some of you is not a, is not for consumption. You know, I think that's a really important thing. And I think especially in like early stages with any kind of like helping profession, it's really hard to maintain that distinction because I am my work. You know, there, there isn't a lot of distinction between the, the work I do as a psychic, as an astrologer, yada, yada. And like my personality slash there are just so much. There's so much distinction between the two. And, and I think it's hard to hold that they're both true and not that's true and not true. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, so so I would say there's nothing wrong with um, putting on what I call your artist slacks 
I have a thing that I call artist sucks. It's just like, if you're going to be an artist and you're going to like go to an art show and like want somebody to buy your work and like, you know, deal with people, rich people who want to buy your stuff and stuff like that. If you go as yourself, it's way too vulnerable. Cause what if they don't do it? But you know, if you're like, this is my uniform, this is like my artist presentation self. It is so much easier to show up with like your guts on the page and not take it personally if somebody's not resonating with it or they're not putting their their money into it. And so it's like advice I give to artists frequently. It's just like, wear a uniform. Get an actual uniform that's not your clothes. And be comfortable, be authentic in it, but also this is not your playtime. This is your work time. And it, I think that kind of distinction can help. So do the same thing if you're an esoteric artist is my is my takeaway. That's really good. You know, I do that. I have like a series of dresses that are all essentially the same, but with different patterns. And that's my show clothes. See? Like, Genius. I, like right now I'm wearing sweatpants, no bra, a t-shirt and a kind of do-rag situation that I would probably not wear in public. But this I'm like home. This is like I'm doing work at home today, and I, this is not what I would wear. This this does feel like part of home that I would yeah. not take with me to a show space. Absolutely. And there's, there's – I think people get wrapped up with this idea of authenticity, and I think that, I think that people get wrapped up around it and, and, and schmuggled with it because they're not sure what part of authentic me should I be. <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with being intentional and curatorial about it when you are your career, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and I think that, you know, this person didn't include their age, but I think that's much harder to do in your thirties than your forties is really hard to do in your twenties in a real way. Um, so be patient with your process and, you know, less is more. You cannot, have you heard of the Wayback Machine? It's the part of the internet that holds on to fucking everything. So you delete a post, that's cute. It's out there. Everything is trackable. So, you know, only share what you feel confident in. If you don't feel confident, you don't have to show it, you know? That that could be in a mailing on paper. Also, discern what is a tweet and what is a text. Yeah. That will keep you out of a lot of trouble. Yes. <laughs> um, Genius. The last, the last question, because you've given us a lot of your time. Is my dog looks sad sometimes. How can I tell if she is? Should I try to cheer her up? It's funny to me to think about somebody like giving a bundle of daisies to like a frowning Labrador. See, I thought the person was going to put on a cowboy hat and a little outfit with a kerchief and do a jig. That was my thought. Uh, But I think that we both have the same reaction of like, how do you cheer up your dog? I mean, that is, again, like the other answer I gave your dog could be sad. That's possible. But how are you going to cheer somebody up if you don't know what's wrong? I mean, see, if it's a dog, give it more exercise. Oh, That's the best a dog can do. Unless they have a mobility issue. Well, yeah. So this is what I would say. Are you depressed? Are you having a rough time? Because our animal companions are responsive to us. And if you're having like, if you're trying to repress feelings and you're trying to not really deal with something that you're really upset about, an example could be a terrifying fascist as your president. Maybe that's eating you alive. Maybe you don't know where to put those feelings. So you're just watching reality TV and you're having wine with your friends and you're trying to move on with your fucking life because what are you going to do? Well, your dog's likely to be depressed, yes, because your dog's probably just like sitting in the feelings and the energy in your home that you're not sitting in. And so they kind of absorb that. Our, and it's not just our animal companions. It's our loved ones in general. You know, so I would first start with you. Don't cheer your dog before you get really honest about where you're at. And then if that doesn't work, I also think you could try singing because I find that to be very effective. There's also storytelling. You could tell stories and see if that cheers your dog up. I guess taking walks and feeding is fine, too. Those are very dog-oriented activities. But I think if your dog is anything like I think your dog is, as as because I am psychically peeping a little bit, I think your dog is kind of like a romantic poet who would probably resonate with, like, bohemian culture and wouldn't mind just getting, like, you sit on the floor, eye contact, eye contact, telling a story, being with the feelings. Do you know what I mean? Some dogs are just very deep people. And I think your dog is a deep person. So, like, you know, if you want to be there for her, be there for her or him or them or whatever. I love that you're psychically peeping on the dog. I can't help it sometimes. I mean, I can. I can always help it if I try. I didn't try because this dog is 
is is a little sad. Really? Yeah. Yes. Can I tell you that one time I had a space clearing of an apartment or house I was living in, and my mm-hmm. friend who was who was the original witch of Portland, Oregon, Sue Burns, my Ooh. my boss at In Other Words Feminist Bookstore, as lampooned on Portlandia. Um, Sue was doing oh. a space clearing in my house. I was the assistant goddess. That was my job. I was Carrie's role. Sue was Fred's role. Um, oh, it's Schwazi. I did not know this about you. Yes. Well, I, so I worked there for a while. But then, you know, Sue was like the original witch. Like, we would make fun of her because it was not cool to be a witch. It was like aligned with lesbian, hippie, feminist stuff. Like, she, you know, she would wear all purple and like one dangly. Purple and Birkenstocks. Purple Birkenstocks. Like we yeah. sold so much stuff at the store that was like, you know, witch parking only all others will be towed. Yeah, like like magic spells, five cents. And my friends would come and make fun of it because, you know, it was like another form of spirituality and it seemed like hippie to them. Look at those people now. Check in with any of those people right now. But Sue came to my house with, you know, like we had the bulb kelp shaker. We had the sage. We had a drum. We had like all this stuff. But anyway, long story short is that she said, there's a little boy living in the attic and he really likes it when you sing when you're in the bathroom. It reminds him of his mom. And I just, and I thought of that when you were saying sing to your animals. Because I, go, so ghosts also like singing. Of course. Yes, absolutely. I've talked to lots of ghosts who are like, will you please cook this thing? Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, is that ghosts and spirits and entities and animals and people and plants, all of us have our own personhood and our own preferences and our own kind of like um, motivation or, 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 or motivation structures, even entities and spirits, which are like less humanoid than ghost. Um, and I think that um, it's this very human and materialistic, uh, probably arrogance of, of us. And we all do this because we are in this, you know, material existence, especially those of us living in, in industrialized societies and in capitalism, where we think that, I have cognition and I have language. Therefore, I have feelings and I have preferences and all the things that cannot that either do not have those things or cannot communicate those things to my satisfaction do not have preferences and do not have feelings. And that that is, you know, what is that hubris? Maybe. Uh, Maybe is it an oversight? Maybe. Maybe is it a survival mechanism? Because it's really hard to think of your bath mat as having its own integrity. Uh, Yes, sure sold. I mean, there's lots of things that it is, but you know, when you're quote psychic, when you can see energy, when you attune yourself to it, there's life in everything. And that can make the world a much more, um, it can make the world scarier, but it can also make the world a more beautiful place. If you can really be in that and, and understand that. And, um, yeah, anyways, I was about to go off on a whole other tangent, but there, there it is. I say to you, there it is. Bringing it, bringing it to the pet realm, there was, I think about that now when I play loud music, I think about, I think about Ponyo, because people just don't think about their pets. There was this right. documentary, I can't remember what it's called, but it's about this like hard-ass New Yorker guy who went vegetarian after pet sitting a cat, and he was a chain smoker, and he looked down one day and he's like, what the fuck am I doing? This cat doesn't have a choice. This cat doesn't get That's to cool. leave the place. And then, this, so this guy went from being like, Joe New Yorker dude, like, hey, I'm walking here to being a vegetarian activist and like putting his money into vegetarian propaganda. But so he became Joe New Yorker activist. Yes. Basically. But so there's, there's a documentary about him. But I, but just that idea of somebody like doing a thing in their house and then looking down and being like, oh, my God, this animal doesn't have a choice mm-hmm. about this loud music or this smoke I've put in the air or like whatever's happening. And then actually like changing their behavior based on that. I was like, yeah. Bravo, good sir. I just hadn't thought of it that way before. Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters brought to you by Maddie Dog, Madeline Berger, Mary Pinson, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Christy Harrod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $5 million, that is your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Bye.
producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's Ponyo's voice. Okay, did I ever tell you the story about the bats in the desert with my ex-girlfriend? Um, do, do we have time for me to tell this story? Yes. Okay. So basically my ex-girlfriend and I, we rented a house in, uh, in the desert in the summer many years back, but I can't remember why we did it anyways. It was really nice. It had a pool and that's the whole fucking reason why we did it. Cause I wanted to swim naked. I want to deal with shit and, uh, I'm a private person. So we got this house and because it was the only pool in the desert in the whole area, what would happen was every morning we would have to fish dead bats out of the pool. Yeah. Because they would dive bomb and then sometimes they would like drown. Wow. And so we'd have to, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Happy vacation. Um, So that was kind of what was happening. And so what happened quickly is we would be in the pool during the day and then before twilight, but towards the end of the day, the bats would come out, which was too soon. And they would come into the pool with us which was terrifying. And it took me a couple of days before I was like, I'm a fucking animal communicator. What's up, guys? And I was like, hey, guys, don't come in the water. It's dangerous in this water. And they just never came back. Really? How did you tell them that? How did you show danger? That's a good question. The feeling of danger, the feeling of, uh, I I think actually, if I'm remembering this correctly, I was like, you know, when you touch the water, it is a dangerous place. I'd probably show them images of the dead bats that had come out of, been fished out of the fucking pool. Um, so it was a gross dynamic. Anyways, they never came back. And it was very exciting. But the story doesn't end here. Anyways, I was with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and she has, she is a New, York, New Yorker. And she has a terror of rodents. Like a terror of rodents. So uniquely scared that before we went to the desert... She did all this research about the kinds of rodents that might be there. And one of the things we discovered was that in the California desert, there's something called the kangaroo rat. Have you heard of the kangaroo rat? Yeah, I've drawn it before. It's very cute. It's so cute. It's the cutest little thing. For people who are uninitiated, it's a it's a mouse and it's got kangaroo legs. It's got like a long ass tail, but it's tiny like a mouse and it's so cute. And so anyways, we were on this trip and I remembered that I was an animal communicator because I always forget, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I'm just like, oh my God, it's bats instead of like, oh, this is all nature and we're connected. It's easy to forget. Anyways, so it was the second to last night. Bats are, bats are gone. And I realized I've done all this research into kangaroo rats and I really wanted to see a kangaroo rat and I hadn't seen any kangaroo rats and I... I think maybe the reason why I remembered is maybe we were talking about it and she was expressing relief. And then I was like, but I really want to see a kangaroo rat. And I, as it was happening, I was like, oh my God, I shouldn't be doing this. Cause I kind of like put out a signal. I could feel it. I was like, kangaroo rat, kangaroo rat. And sure enough, a kangaroo rat within very short amount of time, like 10, 15 minutes, like very, very, very short amount of time hopped into our house. As we were saying it, and my poor, poor ex, uh, she she tried to sleep in the car. She did. She tried to sleep in the car. I felt so bad, and I we got rid of the kangaroo rat. But it was it's one of those things. I don't know why I'm telling the story. It well, just makes me seem like a terrible asshole. But was the kangaroo rat like, "Hello, I saw your ad on Psychic Craigslist." Yes. yes. And then you were like, "It's so nice to meet you. I have to ask you to leave." It was more like they came in. The the rat came in and was just like what's up? I heard my name. And I was like, Oh my God. And then my girlfriend, she was so freaked out. She was so freaked out that it was like instant panic mode. It was instant. Like it was, it's, I mean, it shouldn't be laughing because it is really funny. I mean, it isn't funny. 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 She is like insane about rodents being from New York. And, um, she started running in circles. It was like pandemonium. And in my head, I was like, oh, my God, you just did this, Jessica. You just called this rat in. And I didn't I didn't admit it, I think, probably for days later. I did admit it, though, because it was not – it's not like I did it out of malice. I kind of didn't completely realize that I was doing it as I did it, but, Lord, did I do it. Anyways, so uh, it took me a while to, to realize I could be like, and now you must leave. Go back to for once you came. And it, it didn't happen as gracefully as the kangaroo rat coming in. Yeah. That was that was quite graceful. It was just like, and you called uh, because it was an, it was a warm invitation that I sent out without meaning to. I really was just like, it would be cute uh, instead of like <laughs> a large person running in circles. I mean, the, the, the kangaroo red is so small. 
must have been terrified. He was terrified. like, wait a minute, I, what happened? I was just was like, oh. I, I thought we were friends, what? Uh, yeah, it was, it, the, the desert is not for the faint of heart when it comes to uh, uninvited friends and enemies. No, you have to be so. careful with your powers. Yeah, that's, I, I, I did learn that on that day, on that week. That's like, this was in the early stages of me even knowing I could communicate with animals. This is like uh, Ludo from Labyrinth. He would like be able to call rocks. He would be like, oh, that's right. and then all these rocks would just come rolling towards him. Rolling yeah. boulders. I wish it was quite as, as or- organic as that because like I said, like a lot of times they don't want to talk to me. Like there's this orange cat. His name is Orange Cat who lives in the neighborhood. And I'm always telling him to come and let me love him because I fucking love this cat. Oh, I want to smoosh him. And he really does not. He he has talked to me. He has like responded to me. But usually he just looks at me and walks away. I swear to Jesus. He looks at me and walks away. It is really uh, it is sad. It is being rejected. I am frequently rejected by this cat he very intentionally rejects me too it's not like i'm making it up he's definitely doing it he wags his finger he goes i don't think so he's just basically like you think you know me but i don't think you know me and then he leaves me it's really sad but it's okay it's okay jessica Lignato, thank you for coming back to the podcast thanks for having me Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton, with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.